Hey friends, it's Candace Eisner back with you again this week. And this week I wanted to talk about the fine balance between scientific evidence and anecdotal evidence. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I hope you guys are having a great week. We are now at episode 98 of Life Beyond the Massage Table. Um, Yeah, as I'm recording this, it is early December. I can't believe where the year has gone. It's kind of been kind of a crazy year for me. I think it's probably the same for a lot of you. So yeah, let's uh, let's dive into this topic, actually, because there's, there's multiple reasons why I wanted to talk about this this week. And I'm, I'm not sure this is going to be a super long episode. I think we might be working with a mini episode here, but it's just some food for thought about this whole research versus, you know, like science and research versus anecdotes and stories with no sort of scientific evidence to back it up idea. Um, And before I begin even talking about that much at all, I do want to say that I don't believe you have to be strongly one way or the other. You can blend the two. Um, This isn't isn't an episode to shame any of you who are either like strongly on the anecdote side or you like you you don't really care too much about the scientific evidence part, part as long as it works for you and works for other people. You're good. And it's also not to shame the people who are strongly on the science side, who are like, well, if science says this, then I'm good. And the rest of you who are just telling stories, I don't want to hear it. This is not shaming any of you, okay? Um, This is just some food for thought based on some things I've been observing over the last few months. Um, So yeah, I've actually been thinking about doing this episode for a while. And there was a book I was reading for school. Um, For those of you who don't know, I'm in the fundraising management program at a local school here. Um, and that's so I can work with nonprofits more effectively. Um, and something was mentioned in that book, which I'll get to in a bit, uh, that kind of sparked this topic a little bit more for me. And then while I was reading the book, actually, the whole, well, at least the beginning part of the Green Shield insurance issue started. Now, for those of you who are registered massage therapists or maybe related professions in Ontario, you probably already know about what's going on with this whole green shield thing. Um, or if you're clients of massage therapists who have mentioned it to you. If you're not, well, here's what's going on. So here in Ontario and in Canada in general, most of the sort of non-essential um, healthcare is funded, or not funded, how to, how to put this, like Um, As individuals, you have insurance plans that are provided by your employer. Um, If you're self-employed like me, you don't get anything unless unless you buy a package or you're married like I am and uh, your husband or partner or wife or whoever you're with uh, has a package. But all's to say, Green Shield is one of those options that some employers use as their benefits package, their their, um, insurance package that they provide to their employees. And Green Shield has been making some changes to their package recently. And one of the things that's been happening is they have been kind of coming out very negatively about about massage therapy and saying some things that are not necessarily true, but on the other hand, are kind of shedding some light on some issues that have been going on in that 
career in that industry. Now, I'm not going to go on and on about that, but also to say the reason why I was thinking about, you know, so the anecdotes versus scientific evidence is that Green Shield has basically come out and said that there is zero evidence that massage therapy actually does anything um, other than being, and I quote them, uh, you know, about the same as a nice nap. And that they are kind of saying that they are strongly considering, or maybe even already have, that part of the story I don't know, but they're considering defunding it, i.e. they will no longer offer it as one of the standard um, benefits in their packages. It will be put into a different section where uh, if the employer chooses to have a health spending account separate from their or sort of as an adjunct, not quite separate, but as an adjunct to the benefits package that they're providing, if people want to go get massages, they can use that dollar amount towards the massages. But no longer will massages be covered, say, like $80 per treatment, or, you know, they'll pay 75% of the treatment or whatever. Like, they'll no longer cover that because they want to focus on the more evidence-based practices, such as physiotherapy. Now, there are lots of issues around this. Again, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole and talk about this too much. We do know that there is more evidence than, you know, that massage therapy works, that massage therapy does something than they're claiming. You know, Green, Green Shield kind of hasn't done the research, I don't think. On the other hand, the massage therapy field has not really done a lot of research themselves. There has not been a ton of research into massage therapy over the years. Um, so this has kind of come and bite them in the butt a little bit with this green shield issue. So that is why I kind of really wanted to talk about this now is just because it kind of makes sense given the context of what's going on, at least here in Ontario. And again, if you're listening from outside of Ontario, you know, it's relevant to you. Um, if you're somewhere else in Canada, this thing could start to affect you too. And you could find, you know, if this becomes sort of standard, you could find that no massage therapy is no longer covered. Um, and you could find that similar practices um, that are currently covered, say um, acupuncture or say, um, you know, uh, osteopathy, which is covered in some plans, suddenly are not covered. Or you may find the coverage for a lot of different plans is not covered, all on the basis of saying whether or not, you know, it's scientific. And that starts to get us a bit worried about, you know, oh, well, you know, we need to prove everything and we need to have, you know, quote our numbers and da 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 da. But I don't necessarily think that's the way that's the healthiest for any of the health, wellness, and fitness professions to go. Now, of course, anything I'm saying is just my opinion. I want to be clear on that. I'm not just trying to sort of, uh, I don't know, absolve myself of any negative comments some of you may have about this or differing opinions or whatever. I'm just saying, be aware that anything I'm saying on this podcast in general, not just today, is just my opinion. I mean, it is based on, you know, some research and some experience and whatnot. It's not just based on pulling it out of the clouds. Uh, but still, you know, um, do your own reading and research on this and make your own final conclusions. Um, but yeah, let's dive into the topic proper. So a lot of us in our so-called sort of alternative health practices, and you guys know what I mean by that, you know, we're not MDs or nurses or um, I'm trying to think like what else is considered sort of like the primary healthcare, even though you can argue that massage and physiotherapy are primary healthcare. But anyway, you know, we're not in that category. We're kind of considered like complementary health or we're considered alternative health or 
that kind of idea. Um, pharmaceuticals actually is another really good example of sort of the standard Western methodology of health. Um, so yeah, a lot of those practices, including, of course, massage therapy, I've already used that example, but also including other regulated and non-regulated professionals. Well, we have this pull between the research side and the evidence-based methodologies versus the less conventional, not proven by research, more anecdotal evidence type stuff methodologies. So for example, we'll keep going on the massage example. Swedish massage has been researched to some extent, and it does show that there are some benefits. Not necessarily the benefits that some massage therapists think it has, or some people who aren't massage therapists think it has, but it has shown benefits. Versus Reiki, which is often used by massage therapists. I'm not saying all massage therapists use Reiki. And Reiki has no scientific proof that it works. In fact, there have been studies that have shown that it's no better than a placebo. Um, Reiki, for those of you who don't know, is a type of energy work. Um, it's sort of placing the hands on the body um, and... You could almost say it's like infusing positive energy into somebody or working with somebody's energy in order to make change, positive changes to that person or for that person. Um, some camps would say that professions should stick to modalities that have proven results, that are scientifically based, etc. And others say that practices like energy work or cranial sacral therapy or even acupuncture, especially if it's traditional Chinese acupuncture or traditional sort of Asian acupuncture, since there's method other than Chinese, um, or any of those other alternative practices, well, they're effective. And they help people heal from injuries and, and help people get relief from stress and strain and all kinds of things going on with them. So what's the harm? There's lots of anecdotes saying, you know, stories and anecdotes saying that like people get a lot of benefits. So like, why are we so insistent on having research and science to prove it, right? And this isn't an easy question to answer. You know, like I said at the beginning, I'm not going to make the call for you. You have to decide what you're comfortable with. You have to decide what level of sort of proof or what level of, you know, truthfulness about how effective something is, is comfortable for you. Sticking to only scientifically supportive, supported methods is totally fine. If that's the direction you want to go, go for it. But Having other methods that you've seen good results with but have no research to back up other than like your own sort of evidence from seeing your clients improve or your, yourself improve or friends and family improve, that's fine too. And you know, I'm not about to tell you what to do like I already just said, you know, I'm really not about that. And I think it's really clear here that the most important thing isn't that you choose only science or only anecdotes or a blend or whatever you want to do. The most important thing is being clear and honest with people about that part. Be clear that, you know, why you're using a certain technique or why you want someone to purchase a certain product or whatever. Be, be transparent. That is the most important part, especially if you're a regulated health profession like massage therapy. Again, we're just using the example because of the green shield thing and because I'm a former registered massage therapist myself. We're not trying to pick on massage therapists today, I promise you. You know, if you are in a regulated health profession like massage, you have to be clear when you're using a technique or whether when you're proposing a treatment that isn't proven by research, you know, that it works, but you've seen good results with clients or you've seen good results with yourself. 
That is totally fine. You can do that. You can say to a client or a patient, hey, you know, I'm going to be straight up. There's no proof that this works in terms of like the research. Either either the research hasn't been done or the research hasn't been done well or research has shown the opposite. However, like I've seen, I've had, you know, so many clients that have improved. And, you know, I had one client who walked uh, out of here with, you know, this result and da da da. That is fine. As long as you are super upfront with people about that. The problem I have, and this this is kind of where I am slightly going to get on my soapbox and tell you what to do. The problem is when we start promising people that X technique or X product or X thing is going to produce a precise result or Y result. Because that is literally not true no matter what we are talking about in life. And if you are promising people, you know, it's, it's kind of like those snake oil people who are like, you know, buy this $20 product and suddenly you will lose 50 pounds. Or like you, if you're um, an entrepreneur like me and you are online and you're seeing like people advertising like, you know, buy my 20 day Instagram plan and suddenly have millions of followers. You know, it's like, it's lying. It's totally lying. Because you can't promise that anybody is going to get a specific result. You can't promise that. Traditional medicine, at least like what we call traditional medicine in the West, like doctors and surgery and pharmaceuticals and all that stuff, can't promise that either. It is simply not possible for you to get the same result 100% of the time. It just does not work that way. It might be 99% of the time. In which case you can tell people that. You can say like 99% of people get this result. 1% have this happen or have nothing happen or whatever. Not everybody responds to the same treatments. Even if like it's a well-used, well-approved, scientifically proven, etc. methodology, it simply doesn't, like just the world doesn't work that way. Nothing is, you know, perfect, right? Nothing works 100% of the time. So when you're telling someone, you know, oh, well, I can, you know, this will definitely give you the result you want. If what you intended to mean is that most people get the result, or I've seen good improvements in my clients using this, or whatever it is, it's not okay to word it that you're, that, you know, they're going to get that exact result. You have to say what you mean. That's really important because the client's patients, whatever they are to you, are coming to you for help with a specific issue or problem that they're having. And making false promises is not good. So this is what I'm saying. You got to say what you mean. Even if you don't intend to make false promises, just be careful about how you're saying things, you know? Even, like I said a second ago, what techniques that have been used for many, many years, they have the same result for 99% of people, you just can't promise that they're going to get the exact same result. Even if, like, you've literally never had a client not improve by using this particular technique or whatever it is that you do, even if you've never, ever, ever had somebody walk and you've, you've got many years experience, you've treated lots of people and you've never, never, never had a client that didn't respond in, you know, a specific way, like didn't have a positive improvement, you still can't promise because there's always going to be the outlier. There's always going to be the person, you know, who's the exception to the rule. It just, it happens. Bodies are different. Um, there might be some other factor that you're just not aware is going to affect the treatment or the, you know, the, their use of the product, whatever it is. So just basically what I'm saying, guys, is just be totally honest with people about 
why you're recommending a product, a technique, a treatment, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to get people to do, just be clear about it, about, you know, why you think it's effective and whether, you know, whether it is supported by research. You don't have to necessarily say this is or isn't supported by research, but just be clear about, you know, why you're recommending it. Remember, you're recommending it because you've had lots of clients who've had positive results. You're recommending it because science shows XYZ, whatever. But you just can't promise that in 100% of the cases it's going to fix anything. That That's really all I'm trying to say here. Now, Let's go back to the beginning where I said I was reading a book for school and that's kind of what made me think about this. And you, you know, some of you may remember that from the beginning of this little chat I'm having here and you wondered, oh, well, what's she talking about? Well, here's the thing about evidence versus anecdotes. Um, I was reading about the psychology of marketing and giving money because that's what we fundraisers have to think about, right? And it's something I wanted to share with you because it really does apply to you guys. Even though it was written, like the book I was reading was written for the nonprofit world, it does apply everywhere because people's brains are the same in terms of, you know, um, the effect of certain things on them. Um, So it doesn't matter whether this is nonprofit, for-profit, you know, marketing a, a big company like Nike or, you know, uh, putting on your website as a nutritionist. Doesn't matter. This information is the same. And that's this. When writing fundraising materials, charities will raise twice as much money if they stick to telling stories about how their charity helps people. They shouldn't use statistics to convince people to give money unless in very specific contexts, like reporting on how the money was spent, you know, and that and that's it. Otherwise, keep keep the stats out of there. And why is that? Well, quoting statistics and numbers wakes up the part of the brain that likes to be cheap or overanalyze things and just think about things a whole lot before making a decision. And it makes people not want to spend money, not want to buy something, not want to give to a charity. Whereas if you're quoting stories, which are the same thing as anecdotes, about the same topic, stories of success on how it changed someone's life, it helped them out, it improved things for them, whatever, you know, whatever the story is, depending on your charity, or in you guys' case, if you want to transfer it to you, you know, your business, the people that you're helping, that wakes up the part of the brain that likes to give, that feels generous. It makes people want to spend money. It makes people feel like they can trust, you know? And if you mix the two, here's the really crazy part. If you mix the two, you don't get better results. It's actually better if you keep out the the numbers, except for, like I said, in very specific contexts, at least in the fundraising world. Now, I can't say for sure if this is going to make a big difference for you guys, but it's just, you know, the advice that fundraisers have, which is to stick to stories and keep out the stats, um, really is something that can apply to you guys. Because... Here's what I see from some of your websites or some, and I don't mean anybody in particular of my listeners, I just mean from some people's websites and, you know, promotional materials. They have a tendency to quote statistics about their profession and the effectiveness and this research method and that thing. And, you know, 52% of my clients felt no pain and da, 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 da. And, well, we just said, you know, Um, Being honest about what's research and what's anecdotal evidence is important, but if you're relying heavily on those facts and figures and you're not really just telling like nice stories about, you know, clients that were helped, 
Um, testimonials are certainly something. Now, I realize, again, some of you are not allowed to use testimonials because you have regulations from your college. But if you are not in that situation, testimonials are an awesome form of anecdotal evidence that shows that what you do is effective without quoting facts and figures and, you know, exact statistics from research. Because frankly, you may personally find that really awesome. Like you may be the type of person who super loves to geek out on um, research papers and you love reading about how effective something was and you just want to read like the next paper in it and you subscribe to certain professional journals and da da da. Maybe that's you, but I can guarantee you 90%, well, I'm quoting now a specific statistic, which actually I just made up, but I can guarantee you that most of your clients, let's not, let's not give specific statistics because then we're lying because I just made it up. But yeah, most of your clients are not going to be interested in that level of detail. They just want to know if something's going to help them, or at least they hope it's going to help them. And that's really what this comes down to. Stick to the stories of like, and again, if you can't use um, testimonials, you can still use like, you can talk about um, clients without revealing who they are. You can, you can um, use case studies. That's the word I was looking for. You can use case studies. Um, you can use different ways of telling stories about how something helps somebody, helps how something reduce someone's pain or um, basically reduce their suffering because that's ultimately what people are coming to us for, right? So yeah, you don't have to just kind of obsessively stick to the, you know, the numbers and the facts and the figures and the things that you were taught in school and the you know, all that kind of stuff, because that really ultimately doesn't help the people on the opposite side want to book with you, want to give you money, want to help you have a successful business. What really helps, I mean, maybe a little bit of that does, what really helps honestly is just the honesty first on your part, the authenticity, honesty, um, clearness about how you know if something is effective or not. So, you know, whether it's research-based or whether it's just anecdotal evidence, and not making any promises you can't keep. So saying, you know, most of my clients get this result, but I can't promise. And also um, testimonials or case studies or something sort of supporting evidence from, you know, your clients, past people you've helped, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's it for this week. It ended up being a little longer than I expected, but I guess I had a lot to say about this. So I have a question for you guys. What side are you on? Are you more of like evidence-based practice? You want to, you know, see the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. You want to, you know, be published. Um, you want to have like published research, sorry, and like respected uh, scientific journals about things. Or are you more on the side where you're happy just with anecdotes, like with client um, success stories, uh, you know, personal success stories, all that kind of stuff? Or are you kind of in the middle? Because some of us, we tend to lean one way or the other, but a lot of us are in the middle. So yeah, I'm curious. As always, you guys know how to get in touch with me. You can either DM me at happylittlebiz on Instagram, or you can email me, Candice, at happylittlebiz.com. All right, I'll be back with you guys with episode 99 very soon. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I really do appreciate your time and your efforts the times that you guys contact me with ideas for the podcast or comments about episodes or ratings and reviews, all of that. I really love it. I read all of it. I do really appreciate you guys. Um, by the way, if you would like to leave me a formal review, of course, I would really appreciate that. Head on over to iTunes, find my podcast. So life beyond the massage table, click on ratings and reviews, and then just give me a rating and a review. 
five stars, of course, and a glowing review. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. You know, let me know what you really think, but I do appreciate five stars as well. Let's be real here. Now, for you guys that might be new to the podcast, let me briefly introduce myself here. My name is Candace Eisner, and I am a former massage therapist in the province of Ontario, and I've also worked in various other health and wellness careers. So I've got a pretty good view of what it's like to do what you guys do. My mission right now is to help those in health, wellness, and fitness careers build strong businesses because I really believe to my core that taking care of others has to start with taking care of you. So that's what this podcast is all about, is helping you build a business that really matches who you are and what you value and what's important to you so that you feel happy when you go to work each day. You feel like this career is the right one for you, that everything just works so much better for your life. Now, before I finish off and let you guys get about, you know, go about your day, I will mention where you can find me on social media if you would like to. The main place you can interact with me if you'd like to just chat or see what I'm posting about or, you know, get on my newsletter list or any of that kind of stuff, find me on Instagram. Um, Happy Little Biz is my username. Or, of course, you can head over to my website, happylittlebiz.com, and there's links to all that stuff there. All right, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll be back at you soon.